So for my undergrad uh, studies, I went to a pretty conservative Christian Bible college, which shall remain nameless. And while I was there, uh, I kind of got the vibe that questions or really wrestling with some of the things I was being taught was not exactly encouraged. And one of the reasons I thought that is because, well, questions were not <laughs> encouraged. And the vibe we got from our, our profs was, when you're older, you'll realize why we're right. Like that was, they didn't say it, but that was pretty much what we understood. And never was that more clear to me than when in my junior year, I started really wrestling with one of the doctrines that the school was really expecting us to believe. And, and I'm a skeptical person, so I, wanna, I don't want to just take things at face value. And I was really wrestling with some of the things they were saying about this one particular doctor. And I told one of my friends uh, on my floor, I, I said, man, I'm really struggling with this. Well, he was the TA, the teacher's assistant, for the head of the Bible department, this professor. And, and so he went to his, this professor and said, my friend is struggling with this doctor, and how do I help him? Or how do I fix him? I don't know exactly how he put it. But, and, and this professor said, well, what's his major? My friend said, well, he's a Bible major. And the guy said, well, what's his name? I need to know if he's in my department. So he told him my name, called me into his office, the professor did, and sat me down and said, look, Barry, when you graduate, you're going to have to sign a document that says you believe this thing. And so if you don't fix it right now and start believing this thing, and you, you sign that thing, you're going to be lying. And I'll know. You might lie to everyone else, but I'll know. Wow. <laughs> okay. So I got the message loud and clear, right? Shape up or ship out, and guess which one I chose to do? <laughs> I shipped out, that's right. I ended up going back like years later and graduating, but my word, that was not the only reason, but I went into a period of real darkness in my life. Like I was very low, and I pretty much had the, the, the spark for ministry practically stamped out in my life at that point. Not entirely because of that professor, but I'll tell you what, he did not help, okay? That was my experience with dogmatism in the church. And that is the topic of what we are talking about today. We're in the final week of our series, The Credibility Gap. We're looking at, at perceptions that people outside the church, or even some who are inside the church who maybe are questioning or starting to drift away, perceptions that people have of Christians. What do they think? What do they feel about us? And, and how is that creating a credibility gap between, between where they are and even wanting to know anything about Jesus in a way that could change them? These are perceptions like hypocrisy or judgmentalism or, or harmful theology. We've been talking about these week after week. And frankly, I'm really encouraged at the responses that we've received from this series. Uh, I've gotten so many great emails from you, folks saying things like, this has been my experience or, or my, my uh, nephew or my, my uh, uncle or whoever, they, this is what they struggle with. And, and so it's been so cool to see how this series has really touched a nerve in a positive way and driven us to, to some really encouraging uh, outcomes. Well, today, like I said, we're talking about the perception that Christians are or can be seen as dogmatic, dogmatic. And this is a very common thing I hear. It's something you just look online, you're going to see this guaranteed. Christians are perceived as closed-minded or unwilling to reason or irrational or, or anti-intellectual. These are the kinds of things people, people believe. People feel that, that the attitude of my college professor, that whole shape up or ship out mentality, that that's just how Christians are. That's how we think. It's par for the course in the church. Like we know that we're right. And if you don't believe, with us, believe that or you, you disagree with me, well, then you're wrong. And that's basically how it goes. Now, as with every week in this series, I just want to remind us, the point of this is not to uh, 
point the finger at other churches or other individuals. And as I was saying that last night, I realized, you know what I just did to start this sermon is I was pointing the finger at my professor. So maybe I'm hypocritical, which then makes me think, wait, all of a sudden is the entire series crashing down around me, but whatever. You get my point. I apologize for that. The point of this whole series is not to criticize other people, to point out other churches, other people who are doing it wrong. What I really want us to do is to look in the mirror and ask the question, how, how do we do better? You, me, Grace Church, how do we do better to help close the credibility gap? Because again, we want people to know the love of Jesus. And if there's something standing in the way of that, then what are we going to do to make that better? Okay, so that's what we're, that's what we're doing here. How can we close the credibility gap when it comes to a perception of being dogmatic? So to do that, I wanna look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. So we're gonna go look at the letter of Colossians. And so go ahead and grab a Bible. And while you're doing that, I just wanna take a moment to greet all of you who are watching online right now. I love you. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Uh, if you're watching this in the future, maybe you're from our Fishers campus or you're watching online on YouTube or something, hello. I love you too. And if you are in this room, especially if you are from our North Indy campus, I just want you to know how much I love you, how much I am grateful that you are here. Uh, and just thank you for being a part of our family. So spreading a little love. That's what the whole Bible is all about. So why don't we go ahead and look at some of what Paul has to say. Um, okay. So we're going to look at Colossians starting in, in verse 3. Now this letter was written by Paul and his protege Timothy. And well, I'll just read some of this and we'll talk about how this has to do with uh, the, the way that Paul wants his readers to approach faith. Here's how he starts his letter in, in verse 3. He says, We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Okay, so in verse three, Paul describes the belief system of the Colossians. He paints the picture as this, faith in Jesus Christ and love for God's people. Both of those things come from their confident hope, their confident hope of, of what's being stored up for them in heaven. So what is stored up for them in heaven? What does he mean by that? Well, what he's talking about is that this hope that God is in the process of restoring the world, that Jesus Christ is the king of a new kind of kingdom. Because he died, because he rose again, he is now coming to make all things new. He's coming from heaven to restore creation, and we get to participate in that restoration. That right there, that is the gospel message. That is the good news. And according to Paul, we... Christians should be confident in it. We can have confident hope that that is what is happening. So, okay, pause. What does that have to do with the credibility gap? Because if we believe the gospel and other people don't, isn't that just kind of how it goes? I mean, we're not going to see eye to eye with people because it's a matter of belief. Well, yes, that's true because there is always going to be a faith gap that people are going to have to to cross if they want to believe in Jesus, a faith gap. Like an example, we believe in an invisible God. If someone does not believe in an invisible God, they're going to have to make a leap of faith to believe in an invisible God. Okay, that's the faith gap. But there's another gap, and it's the credibility gap that might pe get people, uh, keep people from getting to that point. And here's what I want you to hear. I believe the credibility gap, it grows not necessarily from what we believe, but from how we believe it. 
from how we believe it. Let me explain what I mean. Um, it can grow. The credibility gap can grow because of how we handle, how we hold this confident hope that we have. Look at verse 9. Look at what Paul says here, and I'll, I'll explain more. Uh, Paul goes on. He says, so we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. He says, all the while, you will grow. You will grow. This is the key because he's already said the Colossian church has faith, right? They, they have confident hope, but they don't yet have complete knowledge of God. You see what's happening here? Paul's already explained. He's like, look, we know that you have confident hope, right? You've got the faith. Our prayer is that that faith would grow, that, that your knowledge of God, like branches on a tree, that's the analogy he uses, would spread out and fill in and grow and grow stronger, that your spiritual wisdom and understanding would put down roots, that you'll bear fruit in the way that you live because of that growth. What Paul is saying is, is that essentially believing in Jesus, having confident hope in, in the gospel message, it's like a sapling fruit tree being planted in the ground for the first time. It's an amazing first step. It's great that it's planted in the ground, but the point is not to be planted. The point is to bear fruit, and that takes time. That has to, the tree has to grow. Surrendering your life to Jesus, in other words, it's not the, the ending point of belief. It's the start. It's the beginning. It's the, the foundation from which the rest of our understanding of God and the world and Jesus grows out of. This is what I mean when I say that it's not what we believe, but how that affects the credibility gap. Because think about what it would look like, what it would mean for us to have complete confidence in Jesus, but to also acknowledge how much we need to grow. But picture that. What would that look like? I mean, I think it would look like a life of, of a lifelong pursuit of truth right? You know you've got to grow, so you're always looking to grow. Uh, it would look like an acknowledgement of our own weaknesses, our own limitations to say, yeah, I get it, that I don't know it all. It would look like wonder, wonder as we encounter a God who is far beyond our comprehension, a God that we can't grasp. This is the, the open-handed posture that we are invited to have towards our faith, an open-handed posture. So let me ask you this. Is an open-handed posture what people see when they look at the church? Do Christians have a reputation for having an open-handed posture of wonder when they think about their faith? Unfortunately, I don't think the answer is yes. I don't think that is what people see. What do they see? Well, they, they see attempts to systematize and categorize everything about God so that we can get rid of all the mystery and put them in a nice tidy box that we can understand. Uh, people see aggressiveness or, or, or defensiveness when any of our beliefs are questioned and hostility. Uh, people see rigidity and narrow-mindedness and dogmatism. I mean, just look online. Look online. What you're going to see is you're going to see Christians arguing with and blasting other people who don't believe the exact same things they do. There's an entire series of Christian movies that's entirely based on the premise of, of uh, Christians dunking on straw men atheists and then patting themselves on the back for being right, right? And look, I know I'm not the only person who's had someone who's a religious authority figure tell me to shape up or ship out with it when it comes to my questioning, right? I know I'm not the only one. 
When these kinds of things happen, when this is the posture that we hold, the credibility gap grows. It just does. Not because we believe in Jesus, but because of how we hold on to that belief, how we hold on to that confident hope. Not with, not with open palms, but with a clenched fist. We treat it like we're a, we're a sapling planted in the ground who's now lording it over all the other trees to say like, look, we've got it figured out. We've got it right. I have an apple tree that I planted a year and a half ago. And uh, guess how many apples it gave me last year? Anybody wanna take a guess? How many apples? Zero. Yeah, you're right. Zero apples because it takes years for an apple tree to develop enough to start actually producing fruit. If I find out that my apple tree is getting on Facebook, blasting other people about the right way to bear fruit as a fruit tree, I'm going to be super upset with it. We're going to have some words because it's not there yet, right? It's not ready. It shouldn't act like it is. Paul's praying that his readers would grow in their knowledge of God. But yet what do we so often do? We say, hey, no need. No need. No, I'm already there. We've got it all figured out. Oh, and you know what? If you want to be a part of our little club, then you'd better realize that we're right. That's how we approach it. The credibility gap grows when we hold our beliefs with a tight fist instead of an open palm. Let me paint a picture for what this looks like. I want, there's a, a whole passage in the next little bit of the book right here where Paul does this poem about the supremacy of Christ, and it's this beautiful epic poem, and man, I wish we had time to really dig into this. We probably need to do a whole sermon series about it at some point, but I just want to show you that there are two very different ways to approach a part of the Bible like this. So let me read it, and then I'll talk about it. Okay, this is this poem about Christ. Christ, Paul says, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Okay, again, so much context we could get into here. All I wanna do though today is to show you ways that you can interact with this poem and there's two very different approaches. The first is what I would call a, a closed-fisted, systematic approach. This was my experience at, at my Bible school where systematic theology was all the rage. Now, systematic theology is, is basically it's a way to, to try to systematize truth about God, about faith, about whatever, by, by using passages from the Bible. It's, it's kind of like trying to be scientific and looking at all the verses in the Bible as your data set right? Or, or to use another analogy, it's like, first of all, by the way, systematic theology, there are definitely some benefits to doing things that way occasionally, but there are also some pitfalls. And, and the pitfalls come when we treat the Bible like, well, it's kind of like trying to assemble a piece of Ikea furniture without any instructions or idea of what you're building, right? You just have a whole box full of parts. And, and you, you, you know, you take part here and this screw here and this sort of thing and you try to put them all together and, and you're just kind of trying to figure it out as you go along. And, and it's like looking at this, this, uh, this poem. It's like, okay, um, 
verse 15, God is invisible. Okay, data fact. There we go. Verse 17, Christ existed before creation. Okay, that's this piece of wood. Uh, verse 19, God lives in Christ. Okay, fact. Bears eat beets. It's like, all right, fact, 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 fact. Part after part, you try to assemble this piece of furniture, and then you hope that at the end of it, you've got some kind of a reasonable understanding of God, and then you say, aha, now I understand God. But what would happen if you were trying to build a piece of furniture that way? Inevitably, you're going to end up with a whole bunch of missing pieces or a bunch of extra pieces that didn't fit in. It's like, well, hold on a second. If that's God, then what are we supposed to do with the Holy Spirit? How does that fit in there? Eh, oh, well, right? You, you don't have a holistic framework trying to build something without instructions. And then, of course, what happens is you look over here and someone else built like a table. You're like, no, it's not a table. It's a chair. And then you're fighting about that. Okay, I'm stretching the analogy, but you get, you get what I'm saying here. You get what I'm saying. We, we act like we have the capacity within ourselves to figure it all out, to, to understand the transcendent creator. And, and, then, and then we have the audacity to hold those beliefs with a tight fist and fight with others about it. The credibility gap grows when we're sitting here assembling furniture like this. But there's another way. There's an entirely different way to approach biblical truth like this. It involves acknowledging, as Paul says in verse 10, that we've got room to grow, that we need to learn, that we need to grow. It's an acknowledgement that God is beyond our comprehension. We can seek to understand him, but we will never completely get there. It's an acknowledgement that this book, this Bible, this is an invitation not to certainty, but an invitation to wonder, to wonder to put down roots into the mystery of a self-sacrificial God. That's what this Bible invites us into. Look again at this poem. I'll give you an example of this. Verse 16 says, God created everything through Christ. Okay, so Christ was the means by which God created every galaxy and blade of grass and human in existence. Try to wrap your mind around that. <laughs> or, or verse 17, Christ holds all things together, okay? And then in the next verse, it says, but that he is the head of his body, which is the church, and that's us. So what does that mean about our place in creation, right? This kind of thing, it doesn't lead me to, to certainty. It leads me to more questions. It opens my mind and makes me realize just how much more I have to learn and grow. When we approach the Bible in this way, with wonder, it becomes not a, a list of God facts to piece together. It becomes a, a life-giving story that draws us in and, and transforms us so that we can bear fruit. Because that's the point, isn't it? To bear fruit in our lives as we learn to know God better and better and better, as Paul says. So yes, we can have confident hope. Confident hope in the message of the gospel. We can have hope that, that everything that, that, that Christ said is true and that we can experience the restoration of God. But that hope, that's just the beginning of our journey. That journey of understanding this wildly loving, universe-creating, eternal God. And I'm convinced that if that is the approach we have towards truth, with an open-handed posture towards what we learn about our faith, about God. If we have that open-handed posture, that is how we begin to close the credibility gap with those around us who don't believe. If people think Christians are dogmatic or closed-minded or unwilling to reason, we can show them another way. We can. It all has to do with how we hold our faith. So let's get practical. Let's talk about what this looks like. I've talked a lot about, I don't know, apple trees and Ikea furniture. What are we actually talking here? How do you live differently? 
Well, here's what I want to do. Uh, to try to make this practical, I want to introduce to you three phrases that you can teach yourself to say about your faith that I believe will help to close the credibility gap. You teach yourself to say these things regularly and it will close the credibility gap for some. So let's talk about this. The first phrase is this. Teach yourself to say, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Like we're in a time right now of great disillusionment and distaste within the church or outside of the church. If we can learn to honestly say this simple phrase, it will speak volumes to, to our skeptical friends and family members. Here's why. First of all, it's an acknowledgement that, that we are on that journey of faith that we've been talking about, that we're still growing. I could be wrong because I realize that I've got a long way to go. That's why I could be wrong. It's also a reminder that it's okay to doubt. If anyone's told you it's not okay to doubt, they're wrong. It's okay to doubt. Doubt is not, or faith is not the absence of doubt, right? It's, it's what we choose to do in the presence of our doubt. That's what faith is. So yeah, I could be wrong, but I choose to believe. And here's why, right? That's what I could be wrong does as well. Also, it's a great way to talk about your own story of faith. I could be wrong, but let me tell you, here's what I've experienced in Jesus. Here's what I've learned. Here's how I've changed. You see, it's an introduction to your own story, not from a place of, of let me tell you why you're wrong, but let me tell you how I've changed. I could be wrong. And I know there's some anxiety talking this way because, for some of you because it's easy to think that, that if we don't hold our faith with, with rigid, unmoving certainty, then it's all gonna collapse around us. But I believe the exact opposite is actually true. Our faith grows stronger when we acknowledge our limitations because it drives us to further growth. Think about this. Let me give you, go back to the apple tree analogy. Which two trees, do you, which of these two trees do you think is gonna be the one that, that really grows the strongest? One that's grown inside a nice, safe greenhouse or one that is outside in the rain and the wind and the storms? Which one's gonna be stronger? Yeah, the one that's, that's outside, that's forced to, to engage with the, the, the winds of this world. So saying I could be wrong, I believe leads to further growth, not to risk in, at your faith. And, and let me tell you this, and this is the thing that I think is the most important for us to understand. If you're willing to say I could be wrong as you think about your faith, I'll tell you what you're not gonna do. You are not gonna be bashing people over the head with your beliefs. You're not gonna be telling people to shape up or ship out. And you're not gonna be, gonna be trying to debate people into following Jesus because you're holding your faith with an open palm. I could be wrong. No, you're gonna be focused on, on learning and growing and changing to look more like Jesus in your own life. You're gonna be focused on bearing fruit and I guarantee the people around you are gonna notice a difference and they are gonna to wanna to join you in that journey. I could be wrong, but here's why I believe. Teach yourself to say that. The second thing that you can learn how to say is just this, why? Practice thinking about your faith with this question in your mind. Why? 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 Sorry, I just couldn't help myself. I had to. It's an old Vine. It doesn't matter if you don't know what Vine is. It's like pre-TikTok. It's a whole thing. Anyway, it's classic. I had to. I just knew I'd be saying why a lot. So anyway, why? Why? So one of my favorite things about little kids is that they're so endlessly curious. And for some of you, I'm sure this is actually not your, it's probably the most annoying thing about little kids, uh, especially if you've got some that are in that like prime age of asking why. But what happens? They, they wanna know why do bees sting and why are trees tall and why can't I touch the stove? And you answer them and what do they say? 
yeah, but why? And then it's like another why and another why. And anytime I get caught in like a why spiral with a kid, I always try to see how far I can go because I really want to try to answer their questions. And inevitably, inevitably, because I'm such a nerd, I always end up with, because he's a God of love. And it always ends there, no matter where we start. Anyway, so why? We could ask that question of our faith and bring some curiosity into, into the way we approach things. Not just accepting pat answers, but, but actually digging in. Like, why did God create humanity? Why is there sin in the world at all? Why did Jesus have to die, right? And then you answer that and ask, well, why to that too? You, you, you can start to ask these questions of your faith. These deepen your faith when you ask them. These questions require you to dig into scripture. They require you to, to learn from one another. They, the question why, it helps us put down our roots deep into Jesus. And I'll tell you what, if we're used to this, if we're used to asking why and really digging in like this, then when we, when we do have conversations with non-believers, we can speak from a place that is a, a deep well. We're not just accepting, oh, well, I don't know, they told me to believe this at church. We've actually wrestled with it. We've, we've thought about it. And when they start asking why, and you don't know the answer, well, you're gonna be really good at, at knowing what to say. I don't know, let's, let's go find out together, right? This is what this open-handed posture can do. It will help you grow if you let curiosity drive you in your faith. So, I could be wrong, why? And finally, tell me more, tell me more. One of the reasons that people criticize Christians for being dogmatic is that we are seen as unwilling or, or even afraid to be exposed to other viewpoints, right? It's, this is the reason my college professor didn't sit me down and have a conversation with me about my struggles, that he just went scorched earth on me. Because he's afraid if I, if, I'm too, if I risk thinking too much about these other things that somehow my whole faith's gonna collapse. We treat our faith like it's a super fragile thing. We're worried that it may not be able to stand up to honest questioning. But come on. We say that we believe that the God of the universe has revealed himself to us, that we are currently being transformed by the love of Jesus. We can have confident hope in those things and still ask good questions and still hear what other people think and hear other people's opinions. We can ask people to tell us more when we're talking with them and hear why they believe what they believe. It may very well help us grow because why? We don't know it all. We could be wrong, and it's good to hear what other people think. But here's what I'll say. I, I know some of you are, that may be kind of scary to think about doing this, to, to opening yourself up to wondering what other people think. If you come across something that you find is just too crazy or too intense, or you find yourself starting to see your own faith uh, being dismantled or whatever, if that starts to happen to you, do one of two things. Talk to your spiritual family about it. This is why we try to be intergenerational here at Grace Church so that we have people who've asked the questions and are in relationship with one another, or, or talk to me. Send me an email, honestly, I'm not that busy. Like, I am bu very busy, but like, please, send me an email because I, this is the kind of thing that's more important to me than just about anything. I'm a very skeptical person, and I, and I am, I just, I don't take things at face value. I need to understand why, and, and so email me, and I'll tell you how I've wrestled through some of the things that you may be wrestling with, okay? We'll talk about it. Um, yeah, my faith right now, I would say, is probably stronger than it's ever been, and yet I'm asking bigger and bigger questions about faith than I ever have, so it's okay, it's okay. All I'm saying is this, hold your faith with open palms, not clenched fists. And when you come across someone with a different viewpoint than you, don't say, here's why you're wrong. I know it's tempting. I know it's tempting. Don't say, here's why you're wrong. Say, tell me more. 
Learn from them. It may very well help you grow, as I said, and it will help to close the credibility gap. If we approach others with a genuine desire to listen and to learn, not only will our own faith get stronger, but we, we, we may very well alter someone's opinion about the church, and that could lead to their transformation. And that's a really good thing. I could be wrong. Why? And tell me more. Let's teach ourselves to say those things and hold our faith with open palms. Because look, there is a faith gap to following Jesus. Our loved ones are gonna have to make that leap of faith at some point. But we don't have to add a second gap for them to cross. We can bring credibility back to our faith and believe in such a way, hold our faith in such a way that we can all bear fruit. I'm gonna pray for you and then I'm gonna actually pray some of the words of Colossians over you as well. So let's pray together. Father God, I'm so very grateful that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. I'm the first one to acknowledge just how little we fully understand you or your purposes, but God, I pray, as Paul does, that we would grow in that. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would give us the courage to learn and to, to seek out uh, ways that we can grow, that we wouldn't just shrink back out of fear, but that we would pursue the truth knowing that you have revealed yourself to us and that your Son has given us freedom. Father, this is what I pray for the people of Grace Church. I pray that you would give them complete knowledge of your will and that you would give them spiritual wisdom and understanding. I pray that, that they would, the way that they live would always honor and please you and that their lives would produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, I pray that they would grow as they learn to know you better and better. And I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.